If you would again, uh, take out your Bibles and let's turn to Genesis chapter 21. And we will be looking at uh, the first 21 verses. Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 21. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Pay careful attention to the reading of it. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had spoken, as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. And she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray now, God, for the preaching of your word. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. I'll be with this, your servant. May uh, the explanation be understood. May we 
see Christ, may we have a greater understanding of your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children are a gift from the Lord. But any parent will tell you that children can be both a source of great joy and a source of grief. We rejoice in our children when they do well, walking with the Lord, showing great promise. But sometimes our children bring us sorrow through their actions or perhaps actions which happen to them. Abraham certainly understood this. Abraham has two sons, one from his wife's servant, Hagar, the Egyptian. That, of course, is Ishmael. The other by his wife, Sarah. This is Isaac. Now, Isaac was the son of promise, through whom the nations would be blessed, and by whom the Savior ultimately would come. Ishmael was also to be a great nation. He was a master bowman. He was a man who would be acquainted with hostility. And when Abraham was to send him away, this brought great grief to his heart. In our passage today, we are looking really at the gospel. Now this may not be apparent at first. When you read through this, you might the first thing you think of may not be the gospel. Really, this is about the gospel. And Paul in Galatians chapter 4 helps us see that more clearly. Here we see the joy of Abraham and of Sarah as they hold in their arms their very own son. But more to the point, the joy found for them and found for us as well is in the fulfillment of God's promises. God had promised that this son would come through whom ultimately all the nations would be blessed. The Lord has done all that he has said that he would do. But even in the good news, even as there is great rejoicing, there is also found heartache. There is a separation between those in the covenant God's covenant, as Paul calls it, the covenant of freedom, and those who are outside the covenant, or as he calls it, the covenant of slavery. Abraham was, as any parent would be, heartbroken to send Ishmael out, but this was done because of his mockery of Isaac, who is the child of promise. And so as Ishmael is found mocking Isaac, he is really found mocking the Lord and God's covenant promises. And so like us, Abraham was a man familiar with both joy and with sorrow. And so as we come down to our text, uh, we'll note that it's been 25 years since Abraham and Sarah had entered the land of Canaan. 25 years have gone by. And after these long and agonizing years... Uh, where God has promised them that this would come, but they've waited and waited. And there have been numerous tense situations. We've read about a number of them as Abraham has been faced with situations with the king, uh, the Pharaoh in Egypt, with uh, Abimelech. Finally, after all of this time, that promised son, Isaac, is born. 
Isaac is the one who was to inherit the promises and the blessings. And through his line, the nations would be blessed. And so this was a joyous occasion. God's word has been fulfilled in their sight. But the story, we see, takes on a new tension. For Ishmael was to be expelled, and Isaac's right to inherit would now be uncontested. But the arrival of the promised son really only provides a temporary relief from the anxieties which Abraham and Sarah experienced, and we as this reader are kind of been experiencing with them. The arrival of Isaac only prepares the way for the final test of Abraham's faith, which will come when he must bring Isaac up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. But the Lord again providing the needed substitute. Another beautiful picture of the gospel, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Here, starting at verse 1, we read that the Lord visited Sarah. The Lord visited Sarah. Now the word visited, uh, pakad in Hebrew, has to do with divine intervention. Okay, so the, the, the word itself deals with God visiting upon, like coming to Sarah, intervening on her behalf. When the Lord visits a person, he either brings blessing or, in some cases, the scriptures talk about the visitation of the Lord in a cursing sense. But that visitation is specific to an individual. And so here, God has visited Sarah. He has intervened on her behalf. Just as he said he would. He said that he would do this. In her case, no longer was she to be barren. She was no longer to be without child. Now, Sarah has not had any children. She is very old. And she is well beyond childbearing years and yet God has visited her her barrenness was certainly a great source of heartache for her you know a a woman who could not have children would have been held in derision by the people around her in fact we uh, saw that earlier with Hagar when Hagar has Ishmael Sarah is held in derision by her this heartache though has now come to an end, for God has supernaturally intervened and caused Sarah's womb to be opened, and for now her to be with a child. Again, in her in her advanced age, she is bearing children, bearing Isaac. Sarah's pregnancy was impossible by human resources alone. Not just difficult. Understand, it wasn't like, well, it just would have been really hard for her to get pregnant. No, this was impossible by human um, resources alone. This required God's visitation upon her and has occurred at just the right time, fulfilling the promises of God. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child through whom the covenant promises would come. Remember back in chapter 17. God told Abraham, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And then again in chapter 18, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. 
And so now the day has come. And Abraham, in obedience to God, names him Isaac, just as he had been told, and circumcises him on the eighth day. Now you may recall that his name is significant. There is significance to the name Isaac. Isaac means laughter, or possibly he laughs. So Abraham and Sarah, remember, had both laughed at the birth announcement You know, sort of a a snickering laughter. God says, I will give you a son. Are you kidding me? Lord, have you looked? Almost a hundred years old. My wife is very old. We're going to have a baby? (laughs) That's hilarious. The Lord remembers this. But no longer is it that kind of laughter. They had, they had laughed at this. This, is, this was the laughter of something ridiculous and absurd. But here now the family laughs again. There is now laughter in the household of Abraham and Sarah. But it's no longer the laughter of the, of the ridiculous. Now this is joyous mirth. The promised son has come. This is the laughter of joy. Notice too that uh, the mention of Sarah as the birth mother. This is done for emphasis. Over and over again, uh, Sarah's mentioned as the birth mother. So this miraculous event, this was not like the birth of Ishmael. The reader is reminded of the incredible nature of what has taken place. Sarah, an old and barren woman, uh, to her, by her own account, a woman who was worn out has given birth to a son. Let us not uh, not be amazed at this miraculous event. Not only is the child uh, circumcised as a covenant member, he is given the sign on the eighth day, but he is again the son of Sarah. This is, this is Sarah's son. This is not Hagar's son. This is Sarah's son. He is, he is the covenant successor. He is the offspring through whom God will work out His promises. And then you'll notice too, sandwiched between the notices of Abraham's age in verses 5 and 7. You know, there's an emphasis here on her. On, this, is, this is the son of Sarah. And Abraham was 100 years old. And then again, his old age. So in between the sandwich, if you will, of the announcement of Abraham's age is an explanation for Isaac's name. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah is overjoyed to bear him this child in his old age. And then she says this, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. The snickering mocking laughter of doubt has now been turned into the the laughter of rejoicing and of faith. God has made laughter for her. Her household is filled with laughter. Don't you in your own home, maybe you sit around the dinner table and you're talking and you're laughing together. That's a joyous time as a family. God has brought that into this household. 
And not only has God made laughter, God has made Isaac. By the way, the word laughter, again, it's a word play on Isaac. That's the Hebrew word for laughter. God has made laughter for me. God has given her Isaac and joy. God indeed has made Isaac for them. What a joyous occasion this was for the household of Abraham and Sarah. If God can bring life out of bodies that are as good as dead, according to the writer of Hebrews. They're as good as dead. Abraham was good as dead, it says. Or worn out by Sarah's admission. Then perhaps God can truly bring forth from them a great nation. What a great joyous occasion this is. Sarah, in her speech, rightly credits the arrival of Isaac to God. It is God who has provided this child. It is God who has provided the miraculous circumstances which has allowed her to nurse a newborn baby. And who would have thought this? Who would have said Abraham and Sarah would have a baby? No longer will she be laughed at and held in derision for her barrenness. And now, instead, all will laugh with wonder and amazement. Isn't this, isn't this wonderful? She has a child. We can, we can smile. We can laugh together. God has been at work. God has provided laughter. Well, the narrative here fast forward a few years. And the child grows, and the day comes when he is to be weaned. And on that momentous day, Abraham hosts a great feast to celebrate. This is, again, you almost get this picture of like, we're going to keep celebrating all these things that God has done. This festive banquet probably occurred when Isaac was uh, between two or three years old. That's about the time when they, uh, a child then would have been weaned. And this, this was a day of great celebration, which, as we will see, though, turns to some bitterness. You see, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian slave, was seen by Sarah laughing, <laughs> presumably at Isaac's expense. Notice that in this, by the way, notice in this, whole, in this entire episode that Ishmael's name is never mentioned. We don't read Ishmael here. He is simply called the son of Hagar. Now, what his laughter entails is not altogether clear from the text. The word used for laughing, again, this is another derivative of Isaac's name. But it can be understood in in a few different ways. Some have suggested that this was simply innocent child's play, which Sarah took the wrong way. Now, I don't think that's fair to Sarah. The idea, though, is that this idea is doubtful. And it's not because Sarah was above pettiness. (laughs) Sarah's not without sin. But we should be careful to criticize her here. Because if, if this was nothing, then her reaction would be unwarranted. But then, even more to the point, God's instruction to Abraham would not make very much sense. This was not just simply child's play that was taken the wrong way. And the form of the word uh, here, use, indicates jesting or making sport of. This is not simply just run-of-the-mill laughter. It seems that Ishmael, who would have been roughly 15 or 16 years old, was having some fun at the expense of a toddler. 
Now, of course, if you saw one of our teens, you know, having sport with one of our toddlers, you'd probably want to say something, wouldn't you? That's, that's inappropriate to do that. In this case, Ishmael was publicly ridiculing either his name, <laughs> you're, you're named Laughter, <laughs> or perhaps at the celebratory events, oh yeah, we're going to celebrate the fact that Isaac, the promised son, is being weaned. Who? Or maybe he was actually uh, ridiculing the promises attached. Would have been known. Isaac was the son promised from God. Oh, you're the golden boy. Right? You can, you can understand uh, the, sorts, the sorts of things that might be going on here. Whatever the case may be, Ishmael was not simply having innocent fun. He was mocking. He was mocking Isaac. He was mocking Abraham and Sarah. Ultimately, though, he's mocking the promises of God. He's mocking the Lord. Recall again the covenant promises of God in chapter 12. God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. What else does he say? And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isaac is a successor to Abraham. And those who dishonor, God is going to curse. For Ishmael to act as he did then is a serious breach which can result in his expulsion. And yet, and yet God still blesses him. He blesses Ishmael, by the way, on account of who? On account of Abraham. And Sarah and her demand that um, Hagar and her son be removed from the community was, in a sense, a contending for the gospel. Even if she didn't understood it, understand it that way at the time, she's actually contending for the gospel. She's contending for the freedom which comes through Isaac to Christ in slavery of sin. And so it is here that we learn that the, ma- that the manner in which Ishmael is removed from the covenant community in order that Isaac may hold the place of lawful son and heir. The heir of Abraham was being belligerently mocked. But as John Calvin points out from Galatians, the Apostle Paul teaches that a sublime mystery is here proposed to us concerning the perpetual state of the church. In Galatians chapter 4, we read of the interpretation of these two women, of Hagar and Sarah, and of their sons. Hagar, Paul tells us, represents the covenant of slavery. And Sarah, the covenant of freedom. The people of God are sons and daughters of Sarah. No longer are we in bondage to sin like Ishmael and Hagar. But we are free in Christ because the gospel sets us free. So that we do not have to live in sin. We do not have to look forward to eternal damnation. We've been set free from the tyranny of the devil. You've been adopted into the family of God, and thus you enjoy all the privileges of what it means to be a son and an heir in Christ. So as a follower of Christ, we're not connected to the slavery of Hagar. We are connected to the freedom found through the son of Sarah, ultimately Christ. Thus there is a separation of the world 
between belief and unbelief, between life and death, between freedom and slavery, between those who are in Christ by faith and those who are outside of Him and are continuing in rebellion against the King. Dear congregation, the world may mock the Christian faith, and they do. The world mocks the Christian faith. But they do not mock from a position of power. Although they may think that they do. They mock out of a position of bondage. Ishmael was mocking Isaac. Not from a position of power. But he was a teenager. He was older. This was a toddler. No. He had no power. He was actually in bondage. And that is the way it is for the world too. They may mock you, but they don't mock you out of a position of power. They mock because they're slaves to sin. Isaac is the son of freedom. Ishmael was the son of slavery. Now, Ishmael is, in many respects, a very complicated character because there's a sense in which he plays a lot of roles. For in one instance, he was not to share in the covenant blessings or the covenant promises. And yet, as was already mentioned, he was blessed by the Lord in his own right. He's a complicated character. Of course, so are we, aren't we? He was not. He was. He was not to share in the blessings of the covenant people. He's outside of it. He's not the child of promise. And yet, even the Ishmaelites could share in the blessings of Christ by repentance and faith in the Lord. Here, Ishmael's mockery of the son of Sarah was to result in a split. Sarah demanded that the slave Hagar and her belligerent son be sent out. Verse 10, cast out the slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Perhaps part of Ishmael's mockery of Isaac was that he was older and he thought that he should be the rightful heir. But Sarah wants to ensure that this was not even a question. Isaac is the heir. Ishmael was to be out of the picture. Now note, too, that Sarah's words are very strong. The, she says, cast out this slave woman. Get rid of her. These are actually the same words used of the, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. The derision from Ishmael, too, may have been seen as an ominous foreshadowing of the strife which these half-brothers would later experience. But know this, this was not merely an overreacting mama bear, but this was a recognition of the promises of God and the covenant relationship through her son. Nevertheless, verse 11, the thing was very displeasing to Abraham. Now Abraham knew that the blessings would come through Isaac, but this does not change the fact that he was unhappy about what was happening. That said, his displeasure was on account of his fatherly affection for the boy. The old man's love toward his firstborn son brought much grief as he frets over Sarah's directive. Abraham loves Ishmael. This is his boy. Abraham could not bear to cut Ishmael off. He may have been an illegitimate son, but he was still his son. Now this is understandable. 
We can understand that he loved this boy. He ought to. He was his father. But the Lord has made clear who the promised seed was, despite Abraham's previous protestations. Remember, remember when he said, you know, well, you know, this promised son hasn't come along. Can't it just be Ishmael? I mean, I've already got him. He's right here. He's my son. We'll just make him the heir, right? God says, no, I've got, I've got other plans. Abraham may have been in some sense blinded by his own love to the inevitable. Abraham already knew the inevitable. Ishmael was to be cut off from the covenant promise and in a sense already was cut off because God had revealed this to Abraham. You see, what is normally the sort of thing that's a part of God's secret will, you know, the boundaries of the elect and the non-elect, who's in the covenant, who isn't in the covenant, you and I don't know who's going to be saved and who's ultimately going to fall away. This is information that God does not share with us. We can't infallibly know these things. But here God has, or I should say, here Abraham had been told. And it was inevitable that Ishmael would not share in the covenant promises. This had been decreed by God. God had already revealed this to him. Now this does not mean that God did not have plans for Ishmael as well. We actually read that he does. But the Christ, the Messiah, was not to come through him. The promise to all the blessings to the nations was not to come through Ishmael. It was to come through Isaac. The blessings to the nations may not flow through Ishmael, but his offspring could enjoy the benefits later as a part of the other nations. And so in response to Abraham's displeasure, the Lord provides him some relief in his suffering. Verse 12, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you to do, do as she tells you, for through Isaac she your offspring be named. The Lord offers Abraham a word of comfort. Don't be distressed, Abraham. And he invites him to do as Sarah has demanded. Abraham, you can concede to your wife because through your son Isaac, Isaac is to be the heir through whom the divine design of blessing would take place. Whereas Sarah's concern was for the immediate protection of her son, God's concern was for the generations which would come through him and for the plan of salvation which he was working out. In God's providence, even where our disposition is wrong or not quite aligned with God, the Lord can and often will work through it. So for this reason, Abraham can set aside any anxiety he may have in this matter. In fact, the Lord goes on to say concerning Ishmael, verse 13, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. This boy is going to be blessed because of you, Abraham. Even Abraham's natural children, who do not participate in the covenant promises and the redemptive kingdom, can still be blessed on account of God's love for him. Ultimately, Abraham was not to provide, or could not provide, Ishmael in an earthly sense. But God will provide for him, and will provide for him. What a comfort God provides to this old, the old man in his anxiety over his firstborn son. God will provide for him. God will care for the boy. God will bless Ishmael. And so as painful as it would have been, 
to expel his firstborn son. Abraham again matches God's promise with quick obedience. As Calvin puts it, banishing his own son was like tearing out his bowels. This was painful for him. And yet he was able to set aside his fatherly love for the sake of following the Lord. Which is a true test of faith and piety. One in which we'll see again, will be tested out again. And so Abraham sends them away. But Abraham doesn't send them away empty-handed. He provides them nourishment for their travels. He gives Hagar and Ishmael bread and a skin of water, which would have been a pouch, which would, uh, this pouch of the skin of water would, could carry approximately three gallons of water. And he places it on her shoulder, and together with the boy, they are sent on their way. Now, it should be pointed out that some translations um, make this, this section a little bit confusing. It seems to read that Abraham placed the skin of water and the boy on Hagar's shoulders. Now, you're laughing because you're like, you just told us he's a teenager, right? Okay. Well, that is an unwarranted, unwarranted reading of the Hebrew. Besides the fact that he's 15, almost 15 years, or he's at least 15 years old. Like, you're not going to put a 15-year-old boy on his mom's shoulders. The idea is that she is given the water, and the boy went with her as they went on their way and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So the wording in the Hebrew is admittedly awkward, and thus sometimes gets translated awkwardly. So the question is, why the clumsy wording? Why, did the, why does Moses, the, the human author of Genesis, why does he write this in such a clumsy way? Well, <clears throat> one commentator suggests that this is an example of what he called a syntax of delay. A syntax of delay. In other words, the placement of the words suggests something about the scene. Remember, Abraham was in great anguish. He's, he is displeased by what he's having to do. He's, he's following the Lord in it, though. And so the delay of mentioning the, the boy in the structure of the sentence may indicate a delay in Abraham handing over the boy to Hagar. So here's kind of the idea. Abraham perhaps waits until the very last possible moment, just as they're about to depart, before he sends Ishmael with Hagar. He gives her the water. He sends them away. Okay, okay now, Ishmael, you can, you can go now. That, that's, that's kind of the... That, that may be what's being indicated. Now, we can't be dogmatic on this point. It's an interesting observation, though, particularly since it's such a clumsy wording. Sometimes when, it, when you see things like that, you have to ask the question, well, why was it written like that? Well, this may be, this may be the reason. But at any rate, Hagar and the boy depart. And they go into the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, where are they going? It says they went into the wilderness of Beersheba. We don't know where they're going. (laughs) Where are they to go? Well, that's kind of the point. right? They don't really have anywhere to go. So they wander. Now remember, this is a desert place. And three gallons of water may sound like a lot. It would be certainly heavy to carry that much water, but you're going to drink that up rather quickly. And they do. And eventually they do run out of water. And so they sit down under the shade of some bushes, and they are beginning to die of dehydration. 
verse 16. Then she went, that is Hagar, went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look upon the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. So Hagar had placed Ishmael under a bush in the shade, but she couldn't stand to be there with him. And so she goes about a bow shot away. Now it's interesting that that's the distance meshing, because what do we know about Ishmael later? He's a master bowman. I think that's on purpose, by the way. But this is a distance away. It's enough that, that she didn't have to see or hear him cry out. This is the idea. The end is not long for them. They are dying in the desert. She couldn't watch her son die. And so she, in a sense, abandons him under the bush and goes away and cries out and weeps. Perhaps she sat this distance so she wouldn't also have to see or hear her son either. But as he cries out, you notice that it says that she cried and wept, but God heard him cry. The Lord heard his voice. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven saying, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. What's troubling you? Don't don't worry. Don't worry. God has heard. You see, it's not that God doesn't know what is happening. God knows the trouble which Hagar and her son are in. And it is here God initiating the rescue of Ishmael and his mother. God heard his cries and God will open Hagar's eyes to water. She will see water. Water which will save them. And so he lifts her voice or he he tells her to lift Ishmael Pick him up. Hold him fast. Here's why. Because God will make him into a great nation. Here you are, dying of thirst in the desert, but God is making a promise, a blessing. This boy will be the father of a nation as well. He will live. But he's not only going to live, he is going to be a great nation and be blessed. And it is God who will accomplish all of this. And so as she went to her son, she lifted him up and held him fast. Verse 19, her eyes were opened by God and she saw a well of water. Isn't that marvelous? She she does as God has commanded her. He's going to live and be a great nation. Go, lift him up. But we're dying of thirst here. She goes and what does she see? God opens her eyes to see a well of water. well of water which will be their salvation in a parched land. And so she goes, she fills the skin of water, and she gives the boy a drink. Now this well, which previously had been unseen to her, suddenly comes into her view. Her eyes had been opened by God. God had provided for them, just as we will see later, the provision of the ram in the thicket for Abraham. And for Isaac. A lot of interesting parallels between these two accounts. But the account here ends with the boy becoming a man because God was with him. 
It is the Lord who had enabled Ishmael to reach adulthood. It is God who oversees the affairs of men. Ishmael lived in the wilderness and he becomes an expert with the bow. Ishmael was a man who would, who would survive by his weapons. Of course, archery is necessary to survive in the wilderness. You must shoot game for food. But it is also necessary skill to survive a life filled with hostilities, a life which Ishmael would become familiar with as well. Ishmael spent his life in the wilderness of Paran. This is an area between the southern boundary of Canaan and north of Sinai. So this was easy proximity to Egypt from which Hagar took a wife for him. So Ishmael and his mother are saved temporally, right? They're saved in this life. Water was provided. He lives. But do they experience eternal salvation? God had provided water as salvation that day in the wilderness, but does he provide them the water of life? It's possible that the blessing of Ishmael was not only life and a nation, but also eternal salvation. Remember, he does return later with Isaac to bury their father. They bury Abraham together. And his name means God hears. God heard him as he cried out and was saved with water. If he does believe, and it's not clear, by the way, I don't have a definitive answer for you on this. It's just something for you to think about. But if he does believe and have faith in God then we should understand also that his being driven away was instrumental in his own eternal salvation. In other words, it was necessary for him to be driven out, for him to ultimately be saved by Christ, if he is saved. Thus, he would not be able to interfere with the promised seed of Isaac. Either way, in God's providence, he is driven away, isn't he? Again, we can't give a definitive answer one way or the other concerning Ishmael's eternal state. This has not been clearly revealed to us in the Word, although there's some indications where we might say it's at least possible. So, what can we learn? What can we learn from this account? Well, for one, God's plan to save men and women through the chosen offspring did not depend on the genetic material of Ishmael, nor upon Abraham, Sarah's, or even Isaac's righteousness but depended upon God's divine election. It is God who caused these things to come to pass. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that through them would come the child of promise, that is Isaac. And from them, more children would come, and a nation would be established, and ultimately Christ would come. This was by God's plan and decree. God visited Sarah and did as he said he would do. And from her had come Isaac, the son who had been promised for them for over 25 years. The son that they had looked forward to and through whom Christ would come. But there is another son of Abraham. This is the son of the flesh. A son who had come when the patriarch had tried to take matters into his own hands. Uh, And I might add that this was at the urging of his own wife. The covenant promises were not in Abraham's hands to fulfill. This was in God's hands to fulfill. Sometimes we want to take matters into our own hands. We forget that God is ultimately in control. 
Our human efforts cannot force the hand of God, as it were. Um, and there's a there's a, a some strange theology out there of, of some who think that well, if we could if we could do certain things, we can force God to do X, Y, and Z. Well, good luck with that. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Our human efforts. Uh, cannot force God's hands. In, in fact, our efforts will result in failure. For you and I cannot save ourselves, but need the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came at just the right time to live, die, and to be raised again so that you and I might have life. God knows what He's doing better than you and I do. The point is this, salvation is itself a supernatural event. And there's a lot of things that have gone on in order to get to that day where God saved you too. Even your faith is a gift from God in accordance with His electing purposes. And He transforms sinners on His own timetable and to His own glory. God had a purpose in bringing Isaac into the world in the womb of this old woman. At the time that He did. He, he waited 25 years for a reason. God worked out His own purposes And all you and I can do is stand in in awe of God's awesome power. We we just kind of stand back and go, wow, look what God did. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, does this mean that you and I play no rule at all whatsoever? We're just, you know, we're just like pawns on a chessboard. Is that? No. No, we play a rule. God does the work, but he does so through means. Which is to say, in terms of salvation, you and I give the outward call of the gospel. You and I are to proclaim to the nations the blessings which have come through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to seek the lost wherever they may be found. We are to bring them the good news of the gospel that God took on flesh, has provided freedom from sin. We are to teach our children. We are to pray for our children. We are to encourage them and nurture them in the faith. We are to plant the seeds and to water the seeds. But folks, it is God who gives the growth. God works out His purposes through His people and for His glory. And sometimes those events will be sources of great joy for us. And sometimes... Those same events, as God is working out His plan, we will also experience heartache. Sometimes we will suffer. But God is good, and He's working out His purposes. And remember then, even as you suffer, our Savior experienced heartache and suffering at the cross. So that you and I may have the joy of salvation in Him. In this, we can find our comfort and rest. For Christ's suffering was done with great joy because he was saving a people to himself. Abraham's suffering was not for nothing, and neither is yours. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you. We give you all glory. We, we stand in awe of how all of these minute details have been worked out so that the Savior would come. And all of these minute details are worked out so that all of us here would hear the gospel and believe. 
We thank you, God, for this this supernatural, miraculous event that is salvation of sinners. Undeserving sinners who, left to ourselves, would be forever lost. And yet you were pleased in Christ to save us. And so we're reminded again of the, of the, the, the joy of your promises being fulfilled. What great joy Sarah and Abraham experienced. We thank you for the joy that you give to us as your people. And we look forward to that day in the new heavens and new earth where we have eternal joy with our Savior Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.